20th of October. I'm Randy Kure. This is What's Up the Sports Podcast. We are live via Twitter Spaces as well as Apple's Colorcast app. Thank you so much for joining us. If you are catching this episode via your favorite podcatcher or even on YouTube, thank you so much for uh, listening. On today's episode, we are going to get into the Major League Baseball playoffs. The big players in the National League are out. The big players in the American League are duking it out for the AL title in the NFL a few starting quarterbacks are expected to return for week seven of course that being that under a lot of scrutiny we're going to cover some NBA and in rapid fire we're going to talk a little John Daly as well as the ongoing saga that is commander's owner Daniel Snyder it is a real treat to be joined by uh the three gentlemen who have uh, assembled the roundtable for this evening, a, f- a familiar name uh, to What's Up the Sports podcast. Uh, he it goes by the Pack Zone on Apple's ColorCast app. His name is Jerome Botang. Jerome, how's it going? Um, very good, man. Very happy to be with this uh, group of gentlemen. Uh, definitely excited about this podcast today, man. Appreciate you letting me hop on. Uh, you could catch him on a must be the money on Twitter spaces. His name is Zach Cantrell. Zach, it's a pleasure. How are you? I've been waiting for this for a while, man. So I appreciate you having me and uh, can't wait to talk with everybody. Let's no, it's a pleasure. Uh, the pleasure is definitely mine. And as well on uh, Apple's ColorCast app, you could uh, uh, see him. Well, you could hear him leading uh, such incredible sports debate shows like Light em Up. He is a true uh, sports broadcaster uh, and uh, uh, real, uh, really uh, grateful to be joined as well by Patrick Rush. Patrick, pleasure is mine. What's going on? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a privilege. <laughs> so, uh, guys, uh, you know, let's get right into it. Uh, the heart of the uh, Major League Baseball playoffs is among us. We are in the uh, championship series for both the American League and the National <laughs> League. And uh, the World Series champions are no longer. The uh, perceived favorite, that being the LA Dodgers, are no longer. Philadelphia beat the Atlanta Braves, who were uh, 14 games south, if you wanted to take a look at the uh, regular season. As well, uh, the San Diego Padres, minus Fernando Tatis and... uh, uh, whatever kind of shell uh, Juan Soto is, uh, took care of the LA Dodgers. Uh, that uh, a 22 win difference with uh, the two teams from California. Uh, yeah, uh, Zach, uh, I guess we could uh, start with yourself and uh, the Padres defeating the Dodgers. Uh, how would you surmise that? I mean, is that. Uh, is that one of the biggest upsets uh, with regards to Major League Baseball? It seemed like the Dodgers were going to take it. 
There's no question about it. This team won 111 games in the regular season, second all-time in the history of the National League, which, by the way, goes back beyond just the 20th century. It started in like the eight, late 1800s or something like that. That's how long this has been going on. That The Dodgers had the second most wins of any team in that time. By the way, the team with the winningest all-time was the Cubs on 116 and 1906, they didn't win the World Series either. But this team didn't even get to the World Series. They lost in the divisional round. And why it was so surprising is San Diego Padres had lost all six series they faced off against the Dodgers during the regular season, and they weren't close. Not only that, you're without Fernando Tatis Jr., who's obviously suspended because he took PEDs. So you're down your best player, and yes, you're still talented because you've got Juan Soto. You still have a really good lineup. But the Dodgers led all baseball in total offense and runs scored, home runs, RBIs, you name it, and they led the league in ERA. I mean, they were pretty much the perfect regular season team, and everybody's picked to win the World Series. And the Padres were very fortunate to get in the playoffs, and nobody thought they were going to beat the Mets, let alone have a chance to even get to the Dodgers and potentially beat them. So, yeah, there's no doubt about it. This is one of the biggest upsets in the history of the Major League playoffs because if anybody tells you that they thought the Padres are going to beat the Dodgers coming in, they're either a diehard Padres fan or a liar. <laughs> as Yes, as uh, I mean, uh, you take a look at this Padres team, however, and you have the likes of Manny Machado. Uh, you have somebody like you, Darvish, uh, and let alone uh, Fernando Tatis. Uh, then you trade for Juan Soto. Uh, it just really does seem like a dream team. But I mean, I, I guess uh, if you do want to focus on Tatis himself, I mean, here's a, a young guy who uh, before he just completely went off the rails uh, was perceived to be one of the best uh, 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 players within the game. And you know, uh, with him uh, not being uh, in the lineup, where do you think uh, his value is? Because uh, now, obviously, San Diego is uh, married to that contract uh, until, uh, you know, your kids graduate from high school. But the reality is, is that uh, he is not on the roster and San Diego San Diego's making so much noise. Oh, he's still valuable. There's no question about it. You don't get better by losing Fernando Tatis Jr. It's just you figure out a way to overcome it. The Braves were able to do it last year when they lost Ronald Acuna. Did that make him a better team not having him? No, but they figured out a way to overcome it. Freddie Freeman chief was chief among them as far as the guys are able to do that. But yeah, the, the Padres did build a good enough lineup and there's enough star power that they were able to overcome not having Fernando Tatis Jr. And you know, what we saw yesterday and them able to come back from down for nothing. Who's to say they can't get to the World Series? The opportunity is certainly in front of them. I think the thing that surprised me was their staff that just badly outpitched the Dodgers staff. The Dodgers staff, as I mentioned, led the league in ERA and they had like Julio Urias. They got four guys that were legit uh, 15 wins starting pitchers and none of them showed up really throughout the entire NLCS. So I, I won't say that losing Fernando Tatis made this team better. It's just the infrastructure, the lineup, everything was built to be able to overcome it. Well, and uh, you want to talk about Ronald Acuna Jr. Another person you could add to that list would be a Bryce Harper, who yes. in his first season uh, after leaving uh, Washington, I mean, they did okay as well, uh, winning the World Series in that very first year. But uh, uh, Jerome, uh, definitely would love to get your thoughts as a Georgia native, uh, who I'm sure definitely has a close uh, affection to the Atlanta Braves. Of course, it was a, a, a Cinderella run, for lack of a better term, winning the World Series last year. But uh, they did uh, lose out to uh, uh, the Phillies. 
And we have seen this before where the regular season may be one thing, but the playoffs is just a completely different animal. Do you subscribe to that theory as well? Or is it just really dumb luck where not only Philadelphia, but San Diego, uh, Oh, uh, had an ups uh, like a uh, you know earned the upset and uh, won uh, won the uh, the respective series. Yeah, so you know the playoffs, especially in the, in in the major league baseball, the playoffs are really just weird like that, you know. And um, I I do think that you know in a way the regular season and the playoffs are a lot different in terms of just atmosphere and um, you know just the stakes of everything. Um, I do think when it comes to just like uh it matters how much momentum you're coming into the playoffs with and it also matters just like maybe how motivated you are maybe that's not the right term because everyone's pretty motivated but um i'll just kind of give an example like last year the braves they were super hot going into the postseason um you know late april last season all the way on they were one of the best teams in the league really and they just rode that momentum all the way to a world series and you know i think a lot of uh the reason why they were able to ride that momentum is because in almost all the series that they were in you could argue that you know they were a pretty good underdog i know hindsight is 2020 and you may think that they're better than they were but i remember going into the brewer series last season that they were the underdog and um you know even though there were some people who did pick the braves i know that a lot of people thought the brewers were going to do it that year and i think that really just motivated the Braves to really come through and prove people wrong. And you could say the same thing for when they played the Dodgers and the Astros. And when you come into this season, now they're the defending world champs and they see the Phillies who barely squeaked into the playoffs because it got extended. And you could see that maybe they weren't as motivated as they were last season to get over this series. You know, they kind of just overlooked them and assumed that, hey, we'll probably be facing the Dodgers next series let's go ahead and just like maybe not take it easily but they definitely did look past the Phillies and it's very easy to do that for good teams in any postseason really when you look at the NBA or NFL if you have way more wins than your postseason opponent then it's very easy to overlook them but I think with the MLB it's just the nature of like if you're hot coming into it and you're playing with a real sense of urgency, you can beat any team. And I think that is the real difference in the playoffs. And, you know, in baseball, it's really easy just to go through either a five-game hot streak or a five-game cold streak. So, you know, if you catch a team at the right time or if your team goes cold at the wrong time, that could just spell doom. And, you know, I think that's kind of the biggest difference. Um, you know, going through a whole 182 game season, there's not that same sense of urgency. So to just instantly pick it right back up for the postseason can be really hard for teams, especially when, you know, they've kind of known in the back of their head, like, hey, we're going to make the playoffs uh, in September. Meanwhile, a team like the Phillies that's had to fight every step of the way when they get to the postseason, that mentality still remains the same. And I think that's just the biggest difference. It just matters how motivated you are when you come into the postseason and how much momentum you come into it with. And uh, I think that really spells for postseason success. But uh, like I said, 
Baseball postseason is very weird. It's very random. And uh, honestly, I'd be a lot more upset about this if it wasn't for the fact that we won the World Series last year. <laughs> this year, look, just let the Phillies have it, man. I, I'm, I'm, we're all just kind of putting it beside us. But yeah, man, the postseason, dude, it's just it's an odd thing, man. Yeah, I think if, it's different. Uh... Please, Zach, go ahead. I was going to say, I think it's a little different for baseball as opposed to, like, the NBA, where the NBA it's just about talent. It doesn't matter. Like, if your team has the best player, you're going to win the series. Whether you've got momentum going into the postseason, whether you don't, it doesn't matter. you got the best player, you're going to win. I think the NFL, to a degree, because we've seen, like, the Giants go in a couple of times where they were 10-6 and six or 9-7, and seven, but on both times they were really hot going into the postseason. They were able to win Super Bowls. But, you know, we've seen, like, the Rams last year. They lost Week 18. They didn't have a ton of momentum going into the postseason, but they were able to win the Super Bowl. We've seen teams do that over and over again. I think baseball is different because – there isn't the sense of urgency for a baseball season, except for maybe the last two or three weeks, you're playing 162 games. The Dodgers never had to have a sense of urgency. They were in the playoffs from day one. The Yankees never really had to have a sense of urgency. I know they had a little dry spell in July and early August, but they never really had to have it where the Padres, the Phillies, these, these teams, the guardians, they had to fight for their playoff lives just to get in. I think it makes more of a difference in baseball because it's harder to pick up the intensity and the, the difference between the regular season and the postseason, I think, is maybe bigger in baseball than it is in any sport because you have to set up your pitching lineup. Now you have to go through a five-game series, especially. In five games, there's a much better chance at an upset versus a seven-game series. Yeah, and I, I think you alluded to, like, the NFL being different. And I think the big, uh, big difference with the NFL, it's like you have seven whole days to prepare for, yeah. a, for a postseason game, as opposed to baseball, you know, you got five days to prepare if you had that first week by. And, and many times that could kind of kill you because it can kind of like just halt your momentum and you got to like build it back up. Meanwhile, if a team was in the wild card, they're coming in really hot and they're coming in confident because they just got to the next round. And so I think that momentum can really carry you through to the next round. So um, in some ways, it is a bit of a disadvantage being the first seeded team, because like you said, baseball, it's not as much about talent as uh, it is just like the ball bouncing right and your team really going into the game, really feeling confident and feeling good. And, you know, sometimes all it takes is just kind of one bad game to throw the juju off. I, like with the Braves. The hot yeah. With, like the hot goalie in hockey. That happens all the time. Yeah. I think also, to, yeah, when it comes to baseball, the thing is the most dangerous thing is the hot team. That's why you see things like a 2015 Kansas City Royals win a World Series. They were the hottest team, not necessarily in any capacity the best team. No, yeah. it, I mean, it definitely is a good point. And, uh, uh, you know, as, uh, as you all alluded to in terms of the best player, uh, there's a, a number of players who have uh, are definitely getting paid as if they're the best player. I mean, you take a look at the, uh, the top five uh, the contracts, uh, and uh, who knows, I may even be missing uh, uh, one or two, but you have Bryce Harper at 330 million. You have Fernando Tatis at 340, Francisco Lindor at 341, Mookie Betts at 385, Mike Trout at 426. So uh, then uh, Juan Soto joins that club at this offseason. Uh, you okay, Juan Soto, uh, Julio Rodriguez uh, signed a signed a big ticket as well. And 
I just am really amazed. I mean, other than maybe Mookie Betts, uh, the four that I just mentioned haven't really sniffed anything uh, postseason-wise. Is this kind of elevated contract going to continue, do you think, in Major League Baseball? I don't know if you guys remember, but in the NBA, they did have massive contracts. Like, I can remember, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Larry Johnson, who uh, was big with the um, with the New York Knicks, but I believe while he was with Charlotte, signed a 12-year, $84 million contract, something that out of the federal was at seven years at 84. Uh, and, you know, in the mid nineties. I mean, those were, that's massive numbers. Where do you guys think the, uh, the salaries are good. Yeah. Eddie Curry. I remember Eddie Curry signed like a six year, $60 million contract with the Knicks too. That's back before they had any cap on the amount of years you can do. It was crazy. Nine, nine years, 99 million for Allen Houston. I mean, respect (laughs) to you, Patrick, because he was a former uh, piston, but, uh, I mean, I like, uh, very quickly. I mean, it's not like you know people are gonna get in fights in Michigan over like defacing the name of Alan Houston. <laughs> but uh, very quickly before we get into uh, uh, Aaron Judge, but I guess it does really tie in because Aaron Judge uh, could have signed uh, long term, but he did take uh, uh, this year to sort of prove his value, and he uh, is the front runner for MVP. He had the most home runs in uh, American League Baseball history. He had a, a batting average of around 315. And now he's just completely laying an egg in the postseason. Uh, I guess uh, back to the original question, do you think that uh, contracts are going to remain this way throughout Major League Baseball? Yeah, contracts are going to stay this way. Contracts never go down. As soon as because you got to match market value. As soon as this guy gets this kind of money, you know, whoever's the next best guy, he's going to say, "Well, he's getting paid this much. Why am I not getting more?" This is going to happen. There like a deal though once with like rookie deals in NFL that they capped it. Yeah, NFL rookie deals because of Jamarcus Russell. He was the biggest example because he got paid $76 million before he ever took a snap. And the only thing he looked over instead of his playbook, the only thing he looked over was maybe the uh, menu at the Dunkin' Donuts. It was right down the street. (laughs) But yeah, I I think contracts are just going to continue to go up, up, up. There's never going to be a moment where the Players Association of any sport is going to be like, you know what, guys, it's perfectly fine. We we don't need as much money. Like the NFL, I think it's interesting because quarterbacks are now getting paid a ton of money and it's getting harder to build teams around them because you're putting so much of your salary cap into the starting quarterback most of the time. Uh, mm-hmm. I think with baseball, it's more manageable only because they have more experience of doing this. But at the same time, unless you're the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Astros, unless you have this kind of money, you're probably not going to be able to pay Francisco Lindor $340 million. Cleveland sure couldn't do that. Uh, This is where I think baseball probably needs a salary cap as much Mm -hmm. as anything else. But contracts are not changing. As long as players continue to get paid $330, $340 million, well, now Aaron Judge is going to go this free agency and say, well, guess what, guys? I hit 62 home runs. You want to pay Bryce Harper $330 million? That's cool. I want $350 million. I mean, I think, and you just said it, like – the only thing that can make contracts really go down is a salary cap. Uh, if you put a cap on the amount of money that these uh, baseball teams can spend for a roster, then I think that will make 
managers and owners kind of think twice before just giving out a huge maximum deal because you know uh you know whenever you got a salary cap you got to think about okay i got to fit a certain amount of players on this team and especially in baseball you can't just have one great player and then a lot of you know replacement level players that's not gonna get you a great team so that's probably the only thing that will make contracts go down if they don't implement a salary cap i think that you know like Zach said, contracts are going to just keep on going up because why wouldn't they? Do you think maybe to play like that was an advocate here, there should be a salary cap to say like teams like the Cincinnati Reds and the Milwaukee Brewers and other medium to small market teams can have a chance to compete against teams such as the Los Angeles Dodgers? I, I think that just because the success of like, I think it's possible for a team that's like, you know, has that has a lower level payroll to be successful. Um, but I think it really just forces them to just come up with ways to, you know, uh, just counteract that. And I think just because of the fact that there are some teams who are able to succeed in spite of not having as much money as the big market teams, I think that's kind of going to be the reason why they just ultimately decide not to implement a salary cap. Um, if it was a case where it was literally like, you know, college football, where all the big teams just get richer and keep on eating more, then maybe they would have to implement that. But um, I, I don't think it's really happening anytime soon. And I don't know if it really, I don't know if it should, but, you know, I think there is a really good case for it just because there are small level teams that have that issue. But if you have a good GM and you know what you're going into, you can still build a roster that's that can compete with those teams, even if you don't got the payroll of those, you know, big market teams. Yeah, well, just look at Cleveland, what they've done for the last 25 to 30 years or so. They haven't won a World Series, but they've gotten you know, Manny Ramirez and Jim Tomey, and they've had a lot of great players and they've consistently made the playoffs on a regular basis. But, you know, you see Pittsburgh that has been hapless since Barry Bonds left in 92 or whatever. Well, I, Zach, I think, uh, sorry to jump in here, but I mean, you have to uh, mention the Tampa Bay Rays. Oh, yes. Tampa Bay as well. They've been to two World Series. I, I, my point was just going to be, I think it would be interesting to see baseball implement a salary cap because part of the league that they can look at, the National Football League, because if the NFL was run like Major League Baseball. The Giants and Jets would win all the time. The Rams would always win. The Chargers would always win. But instead, you get, you know, the Packers, the Vikings, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Indianapolis Colts, smaller markets per se, that are consistently winning franchises in the NFL. And you just don't have that in Major League Baseball because of the lack of a salary cap. Well, uh, I mean, uh, and uh, take a look at the, a couple of the uh, uh, World Series. Uh, I mean, Atlanta, did they have uh, uh, an exorbitant exorbitant payroll uh, when they won in uh, 21? I mean, the New York Yankees, I mean, 2009 doesn't seem that long ago, but when you're uh, freewheeling spending as uh, much as they have, uh, they really haven't done anything in the past uh, few years. <coughs> and uh, I mean, look at the Washington Nationals. Now it's a complete fire sale, but uh they uh managed to win a world series as well right. uh getting back to uh specifically aaron judge i mean uh patrick here's a guy who uh he basically had the league at his fingertips uh everybody was just so enamored with uh his uh chase for uh roger maris's 61 he of course did stumble but he did uh get it in the end 
now we see him in the playoffs. I, he uh, had finished the uh, series with Cleveland with a 200 batting average. He went 0 for 4 in uh, game one against Houston. He had seven strikeouts in the first two games, uh, one of them being a golden sombrero, of course. Uh, and I believe that was the fourth time he has done that in the playoffs. Um, but uh, like, as, uh, this, uh, season plays out, if judge continues on this, uh, pace of utility, are people going to forget about the, uh, the success that he did have? And I guess more so when he does look for that big ticket, do you think that he is still going to get the, uh, the dollars that he originally wanted? And believes uh, that he uh, deserves. I think, like in terms of the fan perspective, if you live in a tri-state area of the U.S. and ain't a thing without the ring, <laughs> as they used to say in the '90s with the Bulls. But when it comes to him getting his bag, sixty-three plus home runs, he's going to get a Brinks truck this offseason. And there's no way around it. This guy's going to get paid by somebody. And he's going to get paid a lot of money. A lot of money. I, I, I guess, uh, I, and I mean, it's anybody's guess uh, to where he's going to sign. I mean, I just do not see him in another uniform other than the New York Yankees. The fact that uh, he's being rumored to go to the Boston Red Sox, for example. He's a California guy. Um Zach, I mean, do you think that uh, he, that anything is possible that, I mean, of course, anything is possible, but could it perhaps happen that Aaron Judge could entertain and maybe even sign with a different team? I think it's certainly possible because if he wanted to stay with the Yankees, he would have already signed the long-term deal. But then again, they've been a little bit far apart on that. Maybe Aaron Judge holds that against the Yankees when it comes to future uh, negotiating. I the Mets have been rumored for him. Uh, obviously, basically, if you're a big name franchise or you have a ton of money, you've been rumored for him. Uh, I don't think, no matter what he does this postseason, it, no one's going to ever forget that he set the American League record and hit 62 home runs, and it's such a big story. And he's obviously going to get as much money as he wants. Uh, I, I don't think no matter what happens, if he, he doesn't get another hit the rest of the playoffs, those two st things are still true. But I, I think it's... I would say 70-30 he stays in New York, but would it shock me to see him in another uniform next year? Not really. Hmm. Very interesting. Definitely remember uh, when the Boston Red Sox won the uh, World Series for uh, that first time uh, in 2004 after all those uh, all those decades, was it 84 years? And then uh, the fan favorite Johnny Damon uh, signed with those New York Yankees. I uh, Johnny Damon, I have with respect to him, I don't think is at the same class of uh, someone like Aaron Judge, but there has been uh, a precedent, if you will. So, uh, guys, we'll make our way over to the gridiron and uh, definitely uh, some uh, key injuries and a lot of uh, uh, a lot of big news uh, with the uh, quarterback position over in Pittsburgh. Uh, the uh, uh, Rookie uh, Kenny Pickett did uh, take the uh, starting job from Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, I don't know if that's really saying a heck of a lot, but uh, Pickett did have a concussion and uh, experienced a concussion. And reports are saying that uh, Pickett, as well as Tua Tagovailoa, but is uh, expected to come back for Week Seven. Uh, Jerome, uh, 
Trubisky did lead uh, those Steelers to a win against uh, Tampa. And uh, he did have a uh, decent enough uh, outing. I mean, he did enough to get the win. Uh, if you were the Steelers, what do you think they should do for week seven? I mean, putting all of your uh, eggs in uh, a guy like Kenny Pickett, isn't that a little too soon? Well, I think the Steelers should do what they should have did week one, and that was start Kenny Pickett. Listen, I, I understand there is definitely risk in starting the rookie quarterback, and, you know, he may not be ready, and, um, you know, it may just be too soon. And I know how much the Steelers value Mike Tomlin's consecutive winning record streak, even though he's only won one Super Bowl with Bill Cowher's players. You know, I, I get all that, but... You know, if, if they still had, let's say, Big Ben decided to come back for one more year and they wanted to start Big Ben, that would make a little more sense to sit to sit uh, Kenny Pickett because, you know, he has that, you know, legacy there and he has that longevity. But this is Mitch Trubisky we're talking about. There really isn't that much of a difference between the play of a Kenny Pickett and a Mitch Trubisky. And even if you want to say it is a difference, how good are the Steelers really going to be with Kenny Pickett? Like the, 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 the like best possible outcome is maybe a nine and eight season and maybe they get to the first round of the playoffs where they lose to the two seed go ahead start your rookie quarterback you have to find out how good these quarterbacks are this as soon as possible you can't have them sitting on the bench for two or three years and then you know having them come in it's it's not the mid-2000s anymore it doesn't work like that especially when there are this many great quarter young quarterbacks coming into the league if Kenny Pickett can't hack it and things go horribly wrong this year for the Steelers at the very least now they know hey let's go ahead and plan to have our new rookie quarterback come in whether it's next year although that would be a little bit soon or in two years they need to go ahead and make that plan but you can't make those plans until you find out just how good Kenny Pickett is because the upside with Trubisky really isn't as high as it would be with Kenny Pickett if Kenny Pickett is the guy even if they do have a losing season if he's impressive enough it clears up a lot more things than it would if you just went with Mitch Trubisky and you had a decent season but you still don't know who your future outlook is at the quarterback position start Kenny Pickett there really isn't much upside in starting Mitch Trubisky isn't that a uh isn't that a recipe for disaster because for as far as I know the Steelers weren't expected to do anything this season and uh correct mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong Quarterbacks don't really start and have that kind of breakout year in their first season. Am I far off? No, you're not too far off. But uh, like I said, if if he is that good, you have to find out. Like you can't because I understand the fear is that you'll push him in too soon and you'll end up ruining him before he even has a chance. But with how the with how the Steelers roster is set up. I mean, it's not like there's nothing to work with. He has receivers there to work with. Uh, he has Najee Harris, a really solid running back. And, you know, supposedly the defense is supposed to be good. They're one of the highest paid defenses in the league, but they haven't really played like it this year. But um, I, I think that they really need to go ahead and give Kenny Pickett that chance. I know Mitch Trubisky beat the mediocre Bucks. The Bucks are going to barely make the playoffs this season, if that, because it looks like the Falcons are better than people expect so who knows but you know I, i'm not gonna put 
the fact that Trubisky beat a middle-aged quarterback and have him start <laughs> over Kenny Pickett because you also have to remember the first few games, Mitchell Trubisky still wasn't that great. You know, I can understand if Mitch like actually played well in his first few games, then okay, you just ride it out. That's the same logic the Falcons are using with uh, Marcus Mariota. But in this scenario, you know, Mitch Trubisky, he's had like one good half. That's not enough to justify benching your rookie quarterback, but I feel like that's where the Steelers are going to lean because they're one of those old school, uh, you know, they're one of those old school teams who still, you know, go by that logic of, you know, resting or sitting the QB until they're ready to play. And, you know, it's just going to mess up their future outlook of their team. But if I was the Steelers, I'd go ahead, give the rookie some run and find out if he can sink or swim. And if he sinks, then, hey, at least you know that, hey, you know, we wasted this pick. Let's go get and get a good QB in here, another young QB in here. And, you know, if he's as bad as, you know, the worst possible outcome, there are definitely some good quarterbacks in this year's draft that the Steelers could go after. Or even the next two years, there's going to be a lot more young quarterbacks in there. So um, I'm always a guy that likes to start the young quarterbacks because you got to find out what they have before it's too late. Yeah, to, to Jerome's point, like I think the days of sitting guys like Aaron Rodgers waiting for three years before he becomes a starting quarterback, that's never going to happen again because you've got to know. Like there is no upside to Kenny Pickett or to Mitchell Trubisky being the starting quarterback because you know what Mitch Trubisky is. He's a good backup quarterback. He's nothing more than a good backup quarterback. You've got to figure out what you have with Kenny Pickett. I know Mibs is a guy, he's a Steelers fan, says, oh, if they throw Kenny Pickett out there, he might get hurt. Well, does that mean you're okay with Mitch Trubisky getting hurt? That's no way to think about things. You have to just say, all right, we got to find out if Kenny Pickett really is our franchise quarterback. Because if he's not, then you need to know that sooner rather than later so they can get another guy. But you know what Mitch is at this point. And for the Steelers, they're two and four. I know they beat Tampa Bay. They're going nowhere. They got to realize they're going nowhere. And rather than try to be like a seven or an eight win team with Mitchell Trubisky, which means you're a mid round, mid first round draft pick and you're not going anywhere. Why not have Kenny Pickett play? And if he's good, great. But if he's not good, then you get a top five pick and you build from there. There's literally no downside to Kenny Pickett. I couldn't agree with both Jerome and uh, Zach and Carol Moore on this. I think you need to find out and you need to find out quickly. You know, it's like it's like this it's like the meme. You fuck around, you're gonna find out. <laughs> and you know, if they fuck around and pick it, they're gonna find out quick if he's good or not. Well, I, I guess I guess the question for me and is uh shouldn't uh Pickett get to uh, get a chance to uh, appreciate like a like isn't there a learning process, especially at the quarter pack position? Because uh, you know, how how vulnerable is a guy like the quarterback going to be uh, if, uh, you know, Pickett gets uh, smoked all the time? Uh, you know, you got to think about, uh, you know, uh, like a, the psyche of a young kid who, uh, you know, let's say they uh, he leads a team to a three and 13 season. Um, is that going to be a learning experience that a young guy uh, like a young quarterback can build off of? Because it just seems that, and I mean, Zach, you were mentioning about uh, Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if Aaron Rodgers, uh, like uh, my assumption is that Aaron Rodgers would have had the playing time if he wasn't waiting for Brett Favre. Any That's other right. quarter, any other quarterback, I'm guessing, would have uh, had a chance. 
Yeah, well, that, that's I, right. I, yeah, and look, um, to your point, like I do understand that logic of you don't want to just rush a young quarterback in here because you know I'm a Jets fan, and Lord knows we've done that plenty of times. Uh, <laughs> Geno Smith, you know, Mark Sanchez, you know, Sam Darnold, like we we've ran through these guys, so I get that logic of it. But at the same time, uh, in the NFL nowadays is pivoting more and more toward college offenses. And, you know, nowadays it's a lot easier for rookie quarterbacks to pick up an NFL offense than it was just 10 years ago. And specifically with the situation Pickett's in, he was literally, you know, practicing in the same facility as the Steelers. You know, he was walking in the Heinz field. He was going to that same building every single day in his college career. So if he's not you know, acclimated to Pittsburgh now, then I don't really see an outcome where he's ever going to be. And, um, you know, I understand the logic. If you have a real good quarterback, like, you know, Brett Favre's situation with Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre was still playing at a solid level. He was still leading the Packers to the playoffs and they were still contending for Super Bowls, even though they didn't make it, they were still trying to contend. So you could understand them wanting to bench Rodgers then. And even as far back, you know, even as recent as Patrick Mahomes sitting for a year with Alex Smith, Alex Smith, was still a solid quarterback. I remember that year there was even talks of him winning MVP for the first five weeks because the Chiefs were like, you know, really hot when they started the year. But, um, you know, that's just not the situation the Steelers are in. They have a backup level quarterback right now. And if you have a backup level quarterback who himself can barely make you squeak to the playoffs anyway, then you may just be better off going with the rookie who, like I said, he's been in Pittsburgh. He should be acclimated to that situation. If it was a whole new situation for him, then yeah, bench him until he's comfortable. But if Kenny Pickett's not comfortable now, the man's 23 years old. Like that's, that's pretty old for a rookie <laughs> quarterback. So, sure. you know, you want to, you want to get his reps in now. Cause by the time he's extended, by the time it's time to extend his contract, He's already going to be 28 and uh, you, you're going to want to have to know whether or not he's worth giving that big money to when the time comes. Yeah. And uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see uh, what uh, comes out of it. Could uh, this be an awakening for uh, Mitchell Trubisky? Uh, he was drafted number two, uh, but uh, obviously never. Uh, hey, over gonna... Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Let, let's not forget that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Jerry, I never will. age is really bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's definitely a good point. Uh, uh, yeah, guys, uh, how about we head over to America's team? Uh, and the Dallas Cowboys uh, had a lot riding on Dak Prescott, and uh, he went down with a fractured thumb. Uh, they're, they are expecting him back for this week. Um, Patrick, how crucial is Dak to the Cowboys? Uh, is he, I mean, Cooper Rush has had, uh, uh, a real breakout season. Uh, is Dak really necessary, uh, uh, for the Cowboys to, uh, salvage the rest of the season season and make a run into the playoffs? Yes. Uh, you know, Cooper Rush is a really cool story. And it's really interesting, but a lot of that wasn't predicated on airing the ball. That's not something that they really did with Cooper Rush. They ran the ball a lot to much effectiveness. 
But when you get Dak back in the game, you get an extra element to your offense. You can get your passing game and your wide receivers more involved. And I think Dak will definitely elevate the play of uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Well, so it's going to be helpful. It's not going to, it's definitely not going to hurt. And we got to be realist here. He's better than Cooper Rush. But I guess, uh, I guess, uh, you know, and uh, not, not to play, uh, purposely play devil's advocate here, but (laughs) I mean, how do you know, unless you, uh, unless you really ride this guy out? I mean, if, uh, I mean, Pittsburgh doesn't really know what they have in Kenny Pickett. I mean, how much does Dallas possibly uh, know what they have with a guy like Cooper Rush? Cooper Rush was drafted in 2016, so he's been in the NFL for five years. So I think that might be a little bit different as opposed to a rookie who's played in six career games. So I think it's a different situation there. My thing is, I I think Dak Prescott might be the most overrated quarterback in the NFL. Now he's going to make the Cowboys better than Cooper Rush made them. But my fear about the Cowboys is now with Dak Prescott back, if they're going to try and play hero ball and make him the star of the team anymore, again, instead of the reality being Zeke Elliott, Tony Pollard, use that offensive line. That's where they need to run the football, and that's the strength of the Dallas Cowboys. When they run the ball and when they let their defense dominate, instead of being a fantasy football show where Dak Prescott's throwing the ball around to C.D. Lamb, now Michael Gallup's healthy, but they don't really have a ton of other wide receivers to throw the ball to. Dak is one of those guys that in playoff games has not shown up. His career playoff record is one in three. We all remember what happened at the end of the 49er game last year, and he ran a quarterback draw with 14 seconds left when all logic said he couldn't do that. And he he beats up a lot of bad teams. A lot of his stats come from beating up on the commanders, the giants before this year, before they actually turned good. You know, the Eagles at times have been a little bit up and down when he plays lesser competition, Dak Prescott can put up foot, Uh, numbers better than any quarterback in the NFL like he'll put up 40 fantasy points he'll look like the greatest quarterback in the league but when you get him up against you know the Seattle Seahawks in the playoffs or the 49ers and when you get him against the current version I think of the Philadelphia Eagles or some of the best teams in the league he's been average at best he's had some games below 200 yards below 250 yards and you don't see a whole lot of impact out of him so he's paid like he's Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or Deshaun Watson, other than off the field, obviously. But <laughs> yeah, <man>. yeah I, <laughs> I attempted to make a different joke there, but I won't do that. No, um, no, I appreciate you. Thank you. <laughs> but but uh, is, he gets is, paid like one of those guys and he's not. And, uh, you know, that that probably is going to be the biggest factor as for why the, the, the Cowboys ultimately just decide to go with Dak or why they have decided to go with Dak is because, you know, I don't. I don't not not because necessarily because he's better because honestly I don't necessarily think that Coop use like you know just going with Cooper Rush for the rest of the year is a bad idea. You know, they've been winning a lot with the style of play that uh, they've been doing with Cooper Rush. But I just think it's the fact that one, you know, you're paying Dak four hundred million dollars. So you I know Jerry said that he wants a controversy, but you really don't want that. You don't want a, a like I don't think I think Cooper Rush was a sixth or fifth round pick, but he was a really late round pick. And you just paid this man a bunch of money. You don't want them to be on par with each other because that's just not a good look. So. So I, I do fear that um, they will try to do the hero ball stuff, but Dak's always been best whenever they play like Cooper Rush played, run the ball, control the clock, and don't let Dak do too much. But I think they're going to want to justify Dak's contract, and that's ultimately why they've that, chosen. And that might be the key, girl, right there. 
you can play some of the things that you really hit home on when you had Cooper Rush leading the show. But when it comes to actually having your QB1, your starter, you have to be the more talented guy. You can augment aspects of your offense and change it a little bit here, a little bit there. Maybe to emphasize the run game a little bit more, supposed to the pass game, because look at the run game lately. It's been pretty good. But you do with Dak leading the show, like you said. And I, also, too, as Zach Contrell mentioned, it's showing the return on the investment that they put into Dak Prescott. He's getting paid a lot. Well, I got to ask you, uh, between Dak Prescott and Tony Romo, and I'm going to put Troy Aikman on this list. Oh, boy. Um, because, uh, Troy Aikman, uh, uh obviously, uh, the success that he had, the, uh, the, the legendary, uh, status that he achieved, he had a guy with M- like Emmett Smith, uh, yeah. with him and, uh, sorry, Zach? Michael Irvin as well. Well, well of course, Michael Irvin, uh, definitely. But, uh, I guess with, uh, with, when you have a running back, uh, to Emmett St- Smith's, uh, um you know skill like is there something common between uh the quarterbacks that i just mentioned because is was troy a like was troy aikman that great a quarterback and uh, zach i believe i uh asked this on your show must be the money uh, a couple weeks back um because uh dak prescott i mean is another one of the here's a guy who started it in 2016 his quarterback rating uh from what i saw looked uh pretty stellar yeah but uh hasn't really done a heck of a lot no i i think troy aikman was a guy that he was good in his role his role was to throw the ball 25 times a game and hand the ball to Emmett Smith 25 times a game. They were perfectly balanced. They had one of the best offensive lines in NFL history. So I don't know if Troy Aikman is an all-time great quarterback, but he did what the Cowboys needed him to do because the real strength of their team was running the ball. But we'd seen with Tony Romo, uh, they had good running games, but Tony Romo oftentimes was carrying bad teams to the point where they were having a chance to win the NFC East. Like everybody liked to blame Romo for throwing a bunch of interceptions in big games, but they wouldn't have gotten anywhere near those games if it weren't for Tony Romo. I think he's an underrated quarterback of the 2010s because of that. And with Dak, I think they're trying, they try too hard to make the Cowboy quarterbacks the stars because they're out getting national commercials. In the case of Romo, he's getting, he's on TV and he's a hell of a commentator now. But, you know, when you listen to him, call the game now you're like why couldn't you have seen half that stuff when you were actually playing obviously it's a lot harder but um I, I think I think what the Cowboys should do is rely more on the running game and make rely on the strength of your team which is supposed to be the offensive line well if the offensive line is the strength of your team that shouldn't mean that they have to pass block 40 times a game run the ball down the other team's throat it's a passing league so zig while everybody else zags and, and don't just put it all on Dak Prescott I'm definitely I'm I'm definitely a, a Romo stan. Um, I was definitely a Romo hater back in the day, but as the years have gone on, I've I've kind of started to see the light when it comes to Tony Romo. He was really doing things that you know Troy Aikman wasn't doing. Dak Prescott's not really doing now, and. You know, I think just the biggest thing with Romo, it was just like his injuries just really started to catch up with him. If he was a healthy, a healthier quarterback and played more games, I think 
he definitely would have been a lot more respected than he was nowadays. I think I've always, even back when the season happened, back in 2015, I believe, isn't that Dak's first season? Correct me if I'm wrong. 16. Yeah, 16. Okay, yeah, 2016. um, If Romo never got hurt in that postseason and he had the exact same roster that Dak had his rookie year, they would have won the Super Bowl that year. I think that year was tailor-made for Tony Romo because when you got to the playoffs, you just saw how limited Dak Prescott was, and um, they almost, they still almost beat the Packers despite that. If it wasn't for Aaron Rodgers just pulling off another one of his amazing plays, they could have beat the Packers that year. But I think with Tony Romo, they definitely would have, that would have put them over the hump and uh, yeah, I think out of the three, Tony Romo's definitely the best of those quarterbacks, but they um, they just never had consistently the roster around him to really make it to that Super Bowl winning level. I think Romo's very first year taking over that job for the Cowboys was the year they could have made it to the Super Bowl. And his very last year, what was supposed to be his last year before he got hurt in 2016, I think that was their best chance at a Super Bowl too. But um, yeah, I think like Zach said, man, they've always been successful when they've been a run-oriented team and when they just relied on time of possession and defense to get them through games. Um, And that's really what they should do now with Dak Prescott. Don't force the issue with him, even though part of me just knows they're going to. Um, But, you know, maybe they can surprise us and maybe they've learned from this run Cooper Rush was on. Don't forget 14, Dez caught it. He he did, and the NFL even said that. I, <laughs> yep, he definitely You know what? There's one year, I don't remember, but these Dallas Cowboys thoroughly fucked my Detroit Lions. <laughs> us over in the playoffs. I don't that was remember. 2014. Same year Dez caught it. Yep. So it was kind of karma in a way, honestly. <laughs> well, as we, uh, as we discuss uh, – uh, the merits of uh, uh, Tommy Romo and Troy Aikman. Is Dak, Prescott, Dak Prescott going to be uh, an elite-level quarterback, like a true elite-level quarterback? Uh, the uh, belief and the consensus is, is that there is still a lot of question marks with the likes of Russell Wilson. It really hasn't been a great start to uh, his tenure with the Detroit, uh, with the Denver Broncos. And uh, if you want to throw in Tom Brady to the mix, uh, here's two uh, who's uh, two quarterbacks who you can only imagine will be uh, making their way to Canton when their uh, careers are over. But there's uh, a lot of criticism that's uh, going uh, uh, Russell Wilson's way, especially uh, as well as uh, Tom Brady. Uh, Zach, I mean, is one storyline between Russell Wilson and or Tom Brady, a little bit exaggerated. Uh, like, do you, uh, when you take a look at Brady and Wilson in this season, like, is everything justified with uh, what reports are saying that they just don't have it anymore? 
I think to a degree, yes. I think we all knew Tom Brady. He had to slow down at some point. It's just inevitable. He's 45 years old. And I think he made a bad decision on retiring, and it's not just because of his personal life where he may end up getting divorced. When you just look at Tampa's offensive line, they had so many key defections. Their left tackle and their right tackle both uh, are no longer there. The right tackle went to Cincinnati. Their left tackle got hurt, and he's lost for the season. So you're basically working with a patchwork offensive line, and we know Tom Brady's a statue back there. So if he's not well protected, then he's not going to outrun anybody you know if you were running against a pregnant woman the best you would finish is third so (laughs) so you've got that issue going on there and then as far as the wide receiver position is concerned they have Mike Evans but Chris Godwin's been banged up Julio Jones is no longer the guy he once was back in his days in Atlanta and they just don't have a ton of great receiver depth uh Leonard Fournette is a good running back but he's not a guy that you're going to give the ball to 25 to 30 times a game to win football games Tampa Bay is just an average roster this year. I think they'll probably win the NFC South, but only because the NFC South is not a particularly great division. The Saints are uh, not looking too good, especially tonight against the Cardinals or just in general. Uh, Carolina might be the worst team in the league. Atlanta is a one-dimensional, one-trick pony as far as Marcus Mariota really can't throw the football. So I expect that the Bucs will win the NFC South, but Tom Brady is not going to retire on top with his eighth Super Bowl unless things dramatically change and I just don't see that happening and as far as the whole yelling at his offensive line thing it was a bad look when he went to Robert Kraft's wedding on Friday and then he didn't even have the courtesy to fly back to Tampa Bay to go back to Pittsburgh with his team he just took a jet and went straight to Pittsburgh that that was not a great look for him to be doing that during the week which no other player would be allowed to do that and then he's going and yelling at his offensive line on Sunday when particularly he wasn't particularly good either I I don't like that look as far as Russell Wilson's concerned I think it's an organizational issue I think it's a head coaching issue Nathaniel Hackett just cannot get it done how Aaron Rodgers went back-to-back MVPs with him as his offensive coordinator might be the greatest achievement of Aaron Rodgers career at this point Russell Wilson 58 percent completion percentage five touchdowns three interceptions and they have put a nation to sleep in primetime games three times already this season they've had uh, primetime games and 12 to 9 19 16 17 16 it's just not good as a Colts fan I watched that whole Colts Broncos 12 9 game I'm entitled to financial compensation (laughs) because I watched that whole thing but I'm not pinning it all on Russell Wilson. His offensive line's been bad. The wide receivers, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, these guys were supposed to be among the best receiver cores in football, and they just have not been that. Javante Williams with the torn ACL, that's a big problem for them. Now they can't run the ball. So they have a lot of issues. And Nathaniel Hackett, his in-game play calling is just baffling. Selling for a 64-yard field goal on the first game of Monday Night Football, uh, throwing the ball up nine to six when the Colts weren't scoring a touchdown in a million years and he throws a red zone interception his decision making is just not there and I think he's forcing Russell Wilson to play an Aaron Rodgers offense which that's not Russell Wilson's skill set when you look at what he did with Seattle over the years what were the two things he was best at scrambling out of the pocket throwing the deep ball we're not seeing any of that in Denver and I don't understand why so I think the criticisms for both of these guys are justified I would say for Russell Wilson I think you need to blame Nathaniel Hackett and the rest of the offense as much if not more so than Russell Wilson and as far as Tom Brady's concerned I don't get think this thing's getting turned around unless things dramatically change because he's on a mediocre roster and right now you hate to say it because I've been waiting to be wrong about to be right about this for a decade because I've wanted Tom Brady out of the league for a long time as a diehard Colts fan I actually think this time it might actually be true. I think he might actually be on the back half or dwindling to the end of his career. So I think both of these are huge issues, obviously, for two very different reasons. 
Tom Brady should have never came back. I, I said the day he decided to come back, there's no way a 45-year-old man can be a good NFL quarterback. That, that's just, I know it's Tom Brady and everything, but at some point, the Tom Brady luck has to run out. And it seems like now it's finally ran out. And, you but, know, uh, the, you know, sorry, Jerome, I, like you do have to admit that he was a 43-year-old man, 42-year-old man who won a Super Bowl. Oh, my good, He was, he played a home Super Bowl game. Like th this defense. But it was during COVID. I mean, nobody oh, was there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He's had so many breaks. And, and you know what? Look, I, I am a, a, a self, I'm a, I am a Brady hater. I self-identify okay. as a Tom Brady hater. So, you know what? If you want to take that and throw away my argument, fair enough. Enough, but I don't think <laughs> that the Brady hate train. I don't think that the Brady story is overblown enough. Brady is Brady back. is in trash though. That's the thing. Brady is still incredibly talented. He's always been a statue. He's about as mobile as a bar stool. But you know what? That boy can pass. He has an arm. What they I'm, have to do is really get healthy. That's what's in Tampa Bay's way is their own injuries. Like, you know, do you think I will guy, say, yeah, that's good too. Yeah. That's do you think, uh, I, I, like, I'm just completely uh, pulling a name out of thin air, but uh, do you think a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. could help? He can't oh. hurt. I mean, out, hurt, like I said, yeah. outside of Mike Evans, they don't really have a wide receiver that you can count on right now. And the thing about Odell Beckham is he stretches the field. Just look at the difference with the Los Angeles Rams right now. They had Cooper Cup on one side a year ago, and they had Odell Beckham on the other side. Odell Beckham was the vertical threat that made everybody have to respect that. And nowadays what you're doing is you're playing soft coverage. You're allowing Cooper Cup to catch underneath passes, but you're not allowing anything after the catch. And they don't really fear Allen Robinson beating them over the top. They don't feel, fear anybody beating them over the top because they don't have Odell Beckham. And I think he would fit in perfectly with Tampa Bay because he has wanted to play with a great quarterback like Tom Brady for a long time. And Tom Brady just wants to win at this point. If he can deal with Antonio Brown coming in with all his drama, he sure as hell can deal with Odell Beckham, who doesn't have nearly the drama of Antonio Brown. And we all know Odell Beckham is super talented. And if he's healthy, that's the biggest thing. If he's healthy, he's still a very good number two receiver that can take some pressure off of Mike Evans. So if he ends up in Tampa Bay, I think that would be a big help. Yeah, and uh, just one more thing. I do want to talk about Russell Wilson real quick. Um, I, I got a little sympathy for Russell Wilson. I think it is a little too overblown. Obviously, he hasn't been up to his standard, um, and I think that's clear, especially considering he just got a massive contract. But, you know, you look at everything going on around that offense. Every You, gotta, you can't just put the blame squarely on the quarterback. Uh, I think that the Broncos need to get rid of Nathaniel Hackett yesterday. He should not be coaching this team right now, even if it's just one year. Like, just, just go ahead and get rid of him. The sooner, the better you can possibly turn this season around. Um, I, I think that, you know, when it when you said the Colts game, just the one image that flashed into my mind was a receiver caught the ball and kicked it and dropped it. He kicked the ball out of his hands. I've never seen that before. And it kind of confirmed to me that the Broncos are just trolling their fans this year. 
And um, I I feel bad for Russell Wilson because he's just kind of caught in the crosshairs of that. The Broncos are trolling their fans. I don't know what they did to deserve it, but uh, they just need to get rid of Nathaniel Hackett as soon as possible. And, uh, you know, get anyone else in there, anyone that can do a replacement level job. And I think things will turn around in uh, Denver. They still have a solid defense. Their defense has been making life hard on the other teams. That's why all their games have been close. But I think it is overblown when it comes to Russell Wilson, I still think that he can be a solid quarterback in this league, even if he's not at the level he was in Seattle. Well, uh, definitely uh, some interesting storylines out of uh, from the gridiron. And as we make our way, guys, to the uh, to the hard court, uh, definitely uh, some interesting storylines happening out of Brooklyn. Uh, it wasn't really a great start uh, to their season. Uh, they got absolutely smoked uh, by the New Orleans Pelicans last night. Uh, taking a look at the stat lines here, as New Orleans did take it by 22 points, Ben Simmons had four points in 23 minutes. Uh, Kevin Durant did have 32 but, uh, and uh, was a minus 23 uh, with regards to uh, his plus minus Kyrie Irving, six for 19 for 15 points. Uh, Patrick, what yeah. do you think the uh, Brooklyn Nets are going to do uh, this season? Uh, do you think uh, with everything that did take place during the summer, uh, do you think that they're going to be able to uh, brush it off and have a strong year? I think we're going to finish is marginally better than they did last year. So by that, it's last year they were a, I believe, seven seed by way of playing. They were able to surpass the Cavs because really the Cavs were in the playing because with Jared Allen's injury they should have been a playoff team outright but it's neither here nor there um I see the Nets projected as being a sixth seed going into the playoffs I think they're good enough to avoid that play in they have too much talent and um I think eventually they'll figure out like some sort of um point forward or like kind of like off-brand Draymond role for like Ben Simmons I think the addition of Royce O'Neal is helpful I don't think they're championship caliber I don't think that they're Eastern Conference Finals caliber I think their ceiling is like the second round a strong second round showing maybe like seven games perhaps, but a second round exit. Yeah, you guys all know my feelings about Ben Simmons, so we, we don't need to get into <laughs> well, that. Well, uh, for those who aren't aware, uh, Zach, please do share. Ben Simmons has the weakest mind of any so-called superstar in the NBA because this guy is afraid of shooting. This guy is just a weak offensive player. You know, he, he's a good passer, and that's the shame of it. He's a very, very good passer, but he can't even develop a jump shot. He's, what, six years into the NBA at this point? He doesn't have a passable 15-footer, let alone the ability to shoot threes in an era where three-point shooting is so important. And then he's out trolling people, you know, making threes in preseason games when there's no pressure on him, but he won't even dunk in a play off game when it's wide open in front of him he, he's just in his own head at this point and I think he's the weakest superstar of any player in the NBA and he's going to be one of the biggest reasons why the Brooklyn Nets are going no further than the second round you've got Kevin Durant Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons all very talented <laughs> players but the problem is 
in order to be a great team, you have to have a leader. The problem is all three of those guys are known followers. Kyrie has never been a leader throughout his career. Kevin Durant followed Steph Curry out to Golden State. Ben Simmons is obviously a leader of nobody throughout this stage of their career. So if you don't have anybody on your squad that is a bona fide leader, where are you going? Because who's going to want to take the big shot at the end of the game? Whoa. And you're going to tell me that Kyrie and Kevin Durant all of a sudden, in one little offseason after they both want to trade it, now everything's totally cool and nothing really changed. I just don't see it. That's something else that, like, I think is harder to decipher. Okay, when it's like what, what the questions that R.C. Mellon asked me, I could look at the roster and I could think, okay, this is good enough at the very least to be a sixth seed. But in terms of, like, their vibes and what's going on in the locker room, I'm really interested in, like, the whole dynamic, like, is Steve Nash, like, on a hot seat or is everything cool? Is Kyrie going to leave after the season? What's Kevin Durant thinking about his decision to make kind of a quasi-amends with Josiah and the ownership group of the Brooklyn Nets? So there's a lot of, like, variables that are – off of the hardwood that trickle down into hardwood since like hardwood play and the conscious of the players. So I'm curious about like what's going on in the ethos of the Brooklyn Nets locker room and upper management. Now, um, Randy, when we did the Atlantic division preview, do you remember what I said, what happened with the Brooklyn Nets? Don't I don't okay? Let me go ahead and remind you, man. So the Brooklyn Nets, <laughs> they have a really wide range of possibilities. I think they could either be a play team or they could potentially be one of the top three seeds in the east, right? And make and the I, I shared that narrative, okay. Mm-hmm. And I said that the Brooklyn Nets, I picked them to be my finals pick. I thought or I think that they will be able to hear all the noise. And they are talented enough to come together and be in one mindset to win a championship. If that is their singular goal, I think that with Ben Simmons, they are talented enough to do that. Now, of course, the Pelicans game definitely was not a good look for that, especially being at home. You don't want to lose by 22 points. But, um, you know, Ben Simmons, it wasn't a good showing, uh, but he's rusty. He's obviously very rusty right now. And I think that once he gets his legs under him, once he gets comfortable in an NBA setting, once again, the defense is still really solid. Royce O'Neal, of course, is a big help when it comes to that. And the passing's really good. I just think they kind of have to get down the dynamics of the team. Uh, if Ben Simmons is the facilitator, I think it would work a lot more just because he's a guy that can just kind of set the table for everybody and, you know, be able to find room for a Kevin Durant and a Kyrie Irving. Um, I still believe in their high-end talent, and I know it's a good possibility that I could be 100% wrong on this, but um, their high-end talent, you know, is a lot better than a lot of people's. If everyone comes together in one mindset and plays up to their potential, they're still a really hard team to beat. So um, this game was not a good look. It says a lot more about the Pelicans than it does the Brooklyn Nets. I think the Pelicans look really, really good, like, after that game, but... um, Brooklyn, they got some stuff to work out, but I think they can still work it out. And I still think they will represent the East in the finals. I don't know if they'll win it, but I think they will make it to the finals. Well, definitely with uh, what 
the world. Wait, 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 wait. Can we repeat? Can it, like, have you ever watched a show, um, Deep Rewind on SB Nation? No. No. Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen that on YouTube. Yeah, on YouTube. I've watched it. Yeah, okay, great. Can you go back? Did you say NBA Finals? NBA, I think <laughs> that they will make the NBA Finals, the Brooklyn Nets. There will be some rough patches. There will wow. be rough patches. There will be people doubting them. You guys are already clearly out on them. Wow. But I believe in that talent. I think, especially after last season, they can't go out sad like they did last year. And I think if, they, like I said, I think they're going to have one clear mindset. If they want all their goals to come true, if Kyrie wants his max contract, he's going to have to win a championship. And I think that Ben Simmons wants to prove everybody wrong who's been talking crap about him for two years. KD wants to show everybody that he could lead a team to a championship. And if they all can just come together and figure out a way to mesh together, I think that they will make it to the finals. I don't think they'll win it depending on who makes it in the Western Conference. I just Here's think the there's thing. too many good teams in the East to get past. I just think Milwaukee's better. I think Boston's better. I don't think the Nets are getting to the finals because the talent's there, but I just don't think those personalities will parallel together at all. You I, know, don't, you I, I don't know. Maybe he. I think they have, like, Jerome said something I've been telling people every time they, like, ask me this question about the Nets. And I think that they have a team, like, so Jerome and I actually have a similar opinion. They're a team that can be anything from, like, a play-in to a champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. There is no way of telling which route they could go, and they could go a route in between, like a second-round exit, which I project them doing, because I think that's the most logical. Although, they have definitely the championship contender caliber roster. We haven't even mentioned T.J. Warren coming in. That should be a help. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, TJ Warren, um, along with Joe Harris, along with Steph, uh, Seth Curry, uh, those three didn't play, but, uh, and that will definitely be a help uh, because uh, those, uh, the, the who they did have uh, in their place, I mean, it really can hold, they really don't have any sort of uh, uh, um, yep. you know, wherewithal to, uh, you know, be uh, a key player off the bench. So, Maybe things might uh, improve when uh, those uh, injuries, uh, when those players get back from injury, but uh, definitely not a good start in uh, Brooklyn. Uh, guys, we will keep it uh, uh, within the Atlantic uh, for a moment. And uh, definitely the Boston Celtics are uh, have uh, a lot of um, uh, expectations. They did make the finals last year. Uh, the summer was a real tire fire with uh, everything that happened with their head coach, uh, Amy Doka. Uh, he is not coaching this season because of uh, a suspension, which involved a, a, a female a staffer on his team uh, and the relationship that they did have. Uh, Jerome, where do you see Boston? I, I, we did have the Atlantic preview a few days ago, but uh, remind us again where you think uh, Boston's going to finish up. Uh, yeah, so, um, you know, I, I did say that Boston, they're going to take a bit of a step back um, just with everything going on with their head coach. And, um, you know, just this offseason, I think early on, they may have just a bit of a rough patch. But I don't know that first game 
Uh, I know one game overreactions are are a bit frowned upon, but they that was really impressive. It really impressed me how they were able to play the first game. Um, Malcolm Brogdon is definitely going to add a new dimension to that team. Um, but, you know, just sticking with, you know, what I think is going to happen, I do think that a bit of a step back is possible just because, you know, a lot of people mentioned the second half of the year. But, you know, the first half of the year, there still were some issues and there still were a bit of, you know, they were a pretty inconsistent team. And, you know, Ime Udoku not being there now, you know, you got to wonder how much of that second half improvement, how much of that improvement last year was because of Ime Udoka or because of the roster they have in hand. But I don't know, last game, uh, two days ago, definitely showed like, you know, maybe they still got some juice and they're still definitely a team that's, uh, you know, their stars are coming into their primes now. So, um, you know, I, I think there's a chance I may be wrong on this one, but, um, you know, just sticking with my guns, I still think that they're around, um, you know, possibly a 50-win team, maybe like high 40s is where I'll go. I think they still may take a step back in the regular season. But, um, you know, the first game, very impressive from the start. Really enjoyed watching it. I think, honestly, the Celtics are going to take a step back. And by step back, I mean, like, not first seed, not second seed, not third seed, fourth seed in the East. I think this Eme shit is going to eventually catch up, and it's going to make it be like they're going to have this interim coach in situations he hasn't handled before. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are not a concern to me. I do think they improved at the back. I do think they improved a lot in the off season, but on paper, I don't like them better than Miami. I don't like them better than Philadelphia. And I don't like them better than Milwaukee on paper. But, uh, uh, sorry, Zach, uh, very quickly, uh, uh, they do have a, 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 an interim coach in Joe Missoula who has been with the team for, uh, five years. And, uh, with Yudoka, uh, coming into the fold, uh, last season, yes, he did take him to the finals, uh, I mean, Missoula does have a track record and a history with this uh, with this club, Zach. Yeah, that, and that's a good point. I, I don't think there's going to be a huge drop-off. Now, the only problem for them is drop-off means they don't return to the NBA Finals, and I don't think they're going to do that because I think the Bucks are better and I do think the Sixers are better. Now, I would take the Celtics over the heat right now because I like the Celtics bench. I like having Danilo Gallinari. I like having Malcolm Brogdon. Now, obviously, you got the two-headed monster. That's Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, two of the best players in basketball. But then you've got Derek White, the Williams. I mean, this team is just talented from top to bottom. They've got – great starters they've got a great bench I just think that they <clears throat> excuse me I think they will take a bit of a step back this year I could see them in the Eastern Conference Finals I, I think Milwaukee is probably the team to be in the Eastern Conference I think the Sixers it's hard to figure them out because with Joel Embiid and James Harden they could beat anybody but they could also it's flame out in the second yeah. round yeah I, I would probably lean toward them <clears throat> as the second seed myself yes but the Celtics have traditionally done pretty well against the Sixers in the regular season and in the playoffs. I think they are maybe an Eastern Conference Finals team, probably a second-round exit team. I would take them over the Nets personally, but I I don't think the Celtics are going to have this steep drop-off like some people think they will just because they don't have Emi Udoka. I, I think coaching 
probably matters the least in basketball of all the major sports because we see it in football like Brian Dable immediately takes the Giants from a laughing stock to a five and one team. Uh, we've seen the Cubs uh, with in baseball with Joe Madden. As soon as they got him, they won the World Series. I think coaching matters least in basketball as opposed to all the sports. So I don't think it's going to be because of Emi Udoka if they fall off. It's because the Bucks and the Sixers might just be better. I, I don't want to uh, take uh, this conversation completely off the rails, but uh, I think the Cubs won that World Spirit Series in spite of Joe Madden because that game seven position. was just a complete disaster. I agree with you on that. I'm just saying he got them <laughs> in position. It, it, you may you may mess up the Super Bowl or Game Seven, but they're not there without Joe Madden. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Uh, uh, very quickly, uh, there is a lot of uh, talk about Luka Doncic uh, taking it to that next level. Uh, he is the uh, front runner for MVP. Zach, uh, mm -hmm. it's very interesting uh, to see that. I mean, uh, it does seem that, uh, yes, you have a Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, uh, you have a, like a Tim Hardaway Jr., uh, maybe they might be able to do something. You don't have Jalen Brunson anymore. Uh, where is this coming from? I mean, like, I don't really see how Doncic is the front runner for MVP. Well, that might, actually, that might actually help this case because if his team's lesser, but yet his team still wins 55 to 60 games, then it'll be more because Luka was so dominant. I think sometimes the MVP, it can be because of a watered-down team. Like when LeBron won back-to-back -back MVPs for the Cavs in 09 and 10, it's because who was the second-best player on those teams? Mo Williams, Antoine Jamison. So I think you could have a similar kind of deal with Luka. We all know what he's done in the playoffs. He's averaging almost 33 points a game in his playoff career. Uh, in the regular season, He tends to, he's gotten better as a shooter he's I'd like to see him better as a three-point shooter and a better free throw shooter but you know he's gonna drop 40 in, in a couple of these big games and I think the other thing he has working in his favor I think the voters might be a little tired of giving Nikola Jokic and Giannis Antetokounmpo the MVP we saw this happen with LeBron they gave Derrick Rose the MVP in 2011 when LeBron probably should have won it but they were they had voter fatigue and a lot of times you have to have a better season than the year you had the year before to win it again. And I think you might have that happen with Jokic. And I think Giannis is probably going to be held to that kind of MVP standard. And it's the story of Luka, you know, a guy who's now in his fourth, fifth year, whatever the case may be, and he's just continuing to get better. It's part of the story as far as people think he's going to be an all-time great player. Well, now it's time to maybe give him that MVP trophy. So I, would I make him the MVP? I don't know, but I can absolutely see why they made him the MVP favorite yeah I, I just don't understand how luca can be the mvp when trey young is gonna be the mvp yeah, of course here we go oh, <laughs> here yeah. we go buckle up no, everybody hey, no 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 let him speak i want to hey, hear all, all i'm saying you know trey <laughs> he averaged 28 points nine assists last year if he does that but the hawks win 50 games this year it's gonna be hard to argue that but you know in all seriousness you know they've been hyping luca as an mvp favorite for like two seasons now and you know he's great he's a great player um, and like Zach said, due to the fact that there isn't a major co-star around him now, you know, if the Mavericks do end up winning, you know, 55 games or, you know, if he has like a jaw-like year where the Memphis Grizzlies just sprouted up out of nowhere and were a two seed, then, you know, I can definitely imagine the MVP voters who've definitely wanted to give Luca that award for the past couple of years saying, okay, now he finally has the resume to do so. But, um, you know, they've, they've been, the Luca propaganda has 
been here since 2018. And you know what? If he has a good enough year, if the team is good enough, then you already know they're going to want to give it to Luca because they, they don't want to be proven wrong that Trey Young is the superior player. They want their whole, you know, them trashing the Trey Young pick. They want that to be true so bad. But, you know, obviously, if you, if you think I'm biased, then I won't dispute that. But, um, you know, I do agree with you. It is a little early right now for Luca, but you know, Zach, look at my drapes. <laughs> Zach, look at my drapes. I see you. this. So, yeah. uh, for those so of you much. who are not uh, catching this on YouTube, uh, Patrick had uh, Patrick, uh, being from Michigan, has uh, a, a set of Michigan Spartans Michigan uh, drapes, looking yeah, pretty Michigan stellar. State drapes. Over there with my degree on top of that shelf <laughs> so uh, uh jerome uh, just uh so between trey young and luka Doncic, they were traded for each other you're mm -hmm. still happy with trey Oh, of course. Listen, Trey Young is the better player. And I know last year he didn't have a great playoff series. And, you know, like, you know, hey, the Heat, they they put the clamps on him. But this time around, he has a second co-star in DeJounte Murray. And so now he's finally going to prove that he is superior than Luka Doncic, like he did in 2021 when he won, when he went to the Eastern Conference Finals. And yeah, Luka went to the Conference Finals last year, but Luka only won one game in the conference finals trey young won series. two games in the conference finals the he possibly would have won the series if he didn't get injured so you know trey has always been better i've been waiting for people to catch up with it but you know i am very satisfied with trey young i'm very glad we got the best player in the 2018 draft and it's only a matter of time before we win a championship before the dallas mavericks win one with luka Doncic. i hope that that next championship for the mavericks or the next championship for the Hawks is against each other. Absolutely. Because those two players are in, what they say, intrinsically linked because That's of cool. the draft they trade that happened on 2018 between them. There's always going to be that storyline that connects Trey Young and Luka Doncic. And the cool thing about that in the NBA, the land of unscripted drama, is that they're both really good, you mm -hmm. know, which makes it more fun, the pseudo-rivalry between the two of them. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, guys, uh, thank you uh, once again uh, for this. I do want to end things off uh, uh, how I usually end things off on uh, What's Up the Sports podcast, and that is a rapid-fire segment that I like to call Big Deal no big deal. So the deal is, is that I'm going to pose a question or scenario to you, and you are going to tell me if it is a big deal or if it's a, uh, not a big deal. And of course, tell me why. Feel free to chime in. Uh, but I will be uh, starting with uh, Zach. And LeBron James is expected to be the uh, uh, surpass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with the most career points in NBA history uh, with everything that he did accomplish. Uh, I don't know how many people realize how uh, high up he was climbing up that ladder. It is expected that he is going to do it uh, this year Yes, with everything that LeBron James has achieved. Uh, is this a big deal or no big deal? 
this is absolutely a big deal. He's the leading scorer of anybody to ever pick up a basketball in the history of humankind. And the thing is, he's done. He's averaged 25 or more for 18 consecutive seasons. That's something that's never going to happen again. I mean, he's played 20 years. That in itself is an unbelievable accomplishment because Kareem, Kobe, Vince Carter, those are really the only guys that have ever done it. And you think about this for LeBron, two things. Number one, we always say, who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Most say Michael Jordan. Well, this will be a big cap in LeBron's argument to say he is the leading scorer in the history of basketball. And it's going to happen this year. I think it's projected to happen in January. But he will have a statistical thing to point to. And he can say, yes, I am the greatest person to ever do this. Therefore, I'm in the conversation as the greatest player of all time. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is in the conversation for the greatest player of all time, partially because he's the leading scorer of all time. LeBron's going to be able to take that from him at some point this season. He's the, I, I just don't know how to sum it up more than thousands, hundreds of thousands of, or millions of people picked up a basketball in their life, and LeBron James is going to score more points than every one of them, despite the fact he was the number one pick in the draft, despite the fact that he was the guy that couldn't possibly live up to the hype, and he surpassed all the hype possible. And think about this, guys. The best trait LeBron has is passing. He's not known as a scorer the way that Kevin Durant is known as a scorer, the way Michael Jordan is known as a scorer, or Kobe is known as a scorer. Nobody thinks of LeBron as one of the greatest scorers of all time, and yet he's going to score more points than anybody in the history of basketball. This cannot possibly be a bigger deal. This is one of those records that may never get broken in NBA history because you'd have to average 25 a game for 18, 19 straight seasons, and I just don't know who is ever going to be able to do that. Well, that part I could definitely agree with. The reason why I bring this up, asking if it's a big deal or no big deal, is because for the longest time, Carl Malone was the second most, uh, 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 was second uh, within this category. Yeah. And Carl Malone is definitely, if you want to put him in legendary status, that's one thing. But in terms of top five, how many people would have had a guy like Carl Malone in their top five in NBA history? I am going to say not a lot of people. No, and I think that's part of why this is a much bigger deal is because LeBron is already one of the five best players of all time. He already has four championships. He already has four MVPs. He doesn't have to prove anything else. At the end of his career, he's going to be able to say, look, I've got 40,000 points in all likelihood, 10,000 rebounds, 10,000 assists. That is just insanity like you couldn't possibly have dreamed of having that having a career half that good gives you a chance to be in the hall of fame and yet lebron's gonna have like three or four peaks of his career where he puts up those kind of numbers on top of the championships on top of the mvps he's gonna be able to point to that statistical case and say that's why i'm the goat whether you think he is the goat or not is for you to decide but at least he's going to have a record that may never get broken and that is going to be a very compelling case for whenever he makes his goat case in about five, 10 years, whenever he chooses to retire. So <laughs> I absolutely think it's a big deal because unlike Carl Malone, who so many of those were set up by John Stockton. No, Carl Malone was a great player, but John Stockton set him up for so many of those assists and Carl Malone never won a championship. LeBron has the championships. He has nothing else to prove and to be the all-time leading scorer and to pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, to pass Kobe, to pass Michael Jordan. That is absolutely a big deal. Hmm. Well, uh, Jerome, uh, being a Georgian native, uh, obviously uh, the Masters uh, being the uh, one of the biggest uh, golf tournaments in uh, that uh, sport, and 
uh, reports are suggesting, and I, actually uh, reports have uh, said that uh, two-time Oscar nominee Jonah Hill is going to star as John Daly in an upcoming movie. John Daly has had a very uh, tumultuous career. He is a former major winner, uh, but uh, uh, an upcoming movie will uh, star with somebody as versatile as Jonah Hill. I mean, from super bad to uh, uh the wolf of, wall wolf of wall street of course uh he was nominated uh in money money ball well. mm -hmm. uh if you are or are not especially if you are not a golf fan a movie to the, of this uh kind of plot line focusing on this individual is that a big deal or no big deal i think it's a it's a big deal um for Jonah Hill, I think, uh, especially if he's he's going to be the lead guy, I'm pretty sure this is the first time he's done a serious movie or honestly any movie where he's like the lead guy. Usually he's just the star. He's just the co-star or sure. he's just a really good side character. But, um, you know, it's a really big deal for Jonah Hill. Um, I'm not sure if it's like too big of a deal just in terms of like moviegoers or um, you know, because sports movies, they usually only be they're usually only like really successful if like the person that they're portraying is someone who is like of major celebrity status. Um, now, John Daly's career, it may be very interesting enough to the point where, you know, it's like a movie plot to the point where they can actually recreate it on the big screen and it just does well enough because it's such a great movie. Um, but I, I guess I'll answer it here. It's a big deal for Jonah Hill. And, you know, if it is a good movie, if it gets really good reviews, then it may open the pathway for him to actually be a leading guy in Hollywood, which you, you couldn't really say that for Jonah back when he was making Superbad. And, um, you know, you never really <laughs> thought that his career would pan out this way. I thought he would just be like, you know, the Seth Rogen type funny character all the time. But, you know, he's got chops and, um, you know, definitely interested in how this movie is going to turn out. And, um, you know. Uh, just one side note before we move on. Uh, we were talking about LeBron earlier. I'm watching the Lakers game, and um, man, they are so hard to watch. Just, just wanted to say that because I've been watching for just one quarter, and my goodness, okay. this whole year is going to be about LeBron setting the scoring record. The Lakers aren't going anywhere. Right. They have Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook starting at guard. I don't, I don't know how that makes sense. What but... could go wrong? Yeah, exactly. Oh my God, what could go right? I mean, uh, those two are just. That's that is going to be interesting to uh, to say the least. I, I guess uh, when you uh, for four guys like us, uh, big sports fans, uh, maybe hindsight being what it is, maybe we could have seen uh, the father of Serena and Vill Venus Williams have a movie. Maybe it would have. Uh, maybe I guess we would have easily thought that the movie would have been focused on the sisters themselves, not so much in terms of daddy, but. Uh, did I, for one, ever think that the mother of Tanya Harding could uh, develop into an Oscar-winning role for Alice and Janney? No, not even close. Uh, you think of uh, movies like Ali. You think of, um, uh, like, I mean, uh, like off the top of my head, uh, who else would have, uh, 42 with Jackie Robinson. <coughs> like, is there, uh, now that uh, this movie of John Daly is uh, uh, coming uh, eventually, maybe next year, maybe the year after, is there an athlete that you guys thought off the top of your head 
that you want to see uh, hit the uh, silver screen? Johnny Manziel. <laughs> Why? You want to see party and uh, <laughs> partying and uh, Absol- whatever? Absolutely. That would be a very compelling movie, in my opinion. And, and you know, I was all aboard the Johnny Manziel train until he beat Alabama because I, I, I like Alabama's my second team. I'm a tech fan, but they're my second team. So after he beat Alabama, I didn't really mess with him. But I feel like yeah, that that'd be for a pretty compelling movie. Um, you know, also could do uh you know, you could also do Michael Vick. I think that would work as well. Um, you could definitely talk about the underdog. Yeah. Oh no, not the underdog. <laughs> well, sorry, the underdog. What do you what are you referring to? Dog fighting. Oh, Oh, is that what uh, that was? That what it uh, was referred to as? Uh, yeah, I, the do- I, I you, you know Michael Vick had the whole dog fighting. Of course, yeah. In jail yeah, for yeah, two yeah. years, man. But uh, you know, I think that would also add to you know uh, just you know the narrative because you know after he went to jail, um, you could like you know go over how he reformed himself and you know why he was even in that situation in the first place. The people around him. Um, so yeah, Michael Vick or Johnny Manziel, I think those two would really work well for movies. And I got uh, a good one. I got a really good one. Which one? How to Get Away with Murder, hosted by Ray Lewis. Oh, I, I, I knew you were gonna go there. Oh man, they would never do that. But that would be the number one movie. Ray Lewis would never sign on to it. Hell there no! They, did. Hell they no. did a thirty for thirty about OJ. Well, yeah, yeah, but look, Ray Lewis discovered God, and then all of a sudden, oh, yeah. oh, Deion oh, yeah. Sanders is the worst. Didn't kill anybody. Oh, yeah, they so. forgot all about it once he discovered God, and like now, all of a sudden, no one died. Okay, that's what every uh, criminal does. That's what every criminal like, like sometimes does. Sometimes they're like the whole pull Jesus card, like you know, like oh shit. I have no time for that at all. Like I mean, I just can't. My stomach, my stomach turns every time I hear Deion Sanders talk. What about a Tiger Woods movie? Because he was like the first black golfer that really made it famous. He made golf popular among people younger than 70 years old. Like anybody of our generation would tune in to watch the Masters if Tiger was in contention or any other golf tournament. I think Barry Bonds would be interesting too because he set the home run record while everybody hates him because he supposedly took PEDs, although he never tested positive for it and all that kind of stuff. I think he would be a fascinating subject. I, I you think, know what I think a good 30 for 30 would be the rise and fall of color cats. <laughs> unfortunately it would get viewed by about 20 people um so I, no, I it, would cra- it would crash midway through the movie <laughs> exactly <laughs> okay wait a minute wait a minute uh one word answer you don't have to give me an explanation why but between uh tiger woods between mike tyson between kobe bryant you have to pick one movie to watch and let's say that they were all uh, epic uh, storylines and everything. Which movie would you watch? Kobe Bryant. Kobe? I gotta go with Kobe. Yeah. I love his yeah. work ethic. He inspires me, like, just because how hard he works. And I come from, like, you know, kind of a, like, I am college educated, but I come from, like, a blue collar background. So work ethic is something that's instilled in you. So, like, I always admire Kobe being Bryant. The, fact that he was no stranger to hard work you've got He's the no stranger to rolling up his sleeves and getting down to business 
And uh, I would like to see more of the inside of his psyche and why he worked so hard, why he was so driven. Yeah. No, you know what? Uh, with respect to Kobe, uh, I, I think I would be more intrigued to see Tiger Woods. And I really hope that the storyline doesn't, uh, you know, uh, ignore the whatever uh, shit happened with his uh, with his wife and the cheating and so on. Uh, but well, I want to uh, hear all about the sex scandals. That'd be more interesting than the golf. Let's be honest. Sex <laughs> scandals are fascinating. Like, Finally, uh, Daniel Snyder. He is the owner of the Washington Commanders and has never been shy uh, for developing very controversial views. I mean, uh, it seemed that he was extremely reluctant to change the uh, team name from the Redskins. Uh, now, out of nowhere, uh, he has made it known that he has enough quote-unquote dirt to blow up the whole league. Um, Patrick, Daniel Snyder and this apparent uh, information that could uh, apparently turn the league uh, uh, on its side, is that a big deal or no big deal? No big deal. It's a bluff. He's full of shit. And it's going to be really apparent once people press him to play this card. You know, I can hire Jerome, like, I can hire Jerome, Zach, and you and say, I got a team that digged up some dirt, you know, on Jerry Jones and like a whole bunch of people, but it could just be my boys. Like, what do we know that his attorneys digged up? What do we know that he really has on these people? This is a guy that's been crying out for attention, trying to make himself be bigger than he is for out his whole tenure in the whole public life and professional spotlight in sports. I think he's full of shit, and I'd like to be proven otherwise to send that comment. It could be a big deal, depending on what information he actually has. If he comes out with actual dirt on Roger Goodell or these owners, and it's actually truthful, then it, it is. Yeah, a big but this deal. motherfucker is a whistleblower. Oh, well, boy. think about well, think about Jose Canseco. Nobody thought Jose Canseco was a great guy in 2004, and everybody thought he was full of shit when he came out and said Mark McGuire was juicing and Rafael Palmeiro and all these other guys. And it turns out he was telling the truth the whole time. So just because you might be a dirtbag doesn't mean that you don't know other dirtbags and you might be telling the truth about them. So I, I would like to see if he actually has some of this information. If he's willing to share it, I'm willing to listen to it. But until then, I, I don't think he needs to be talking about having this kind of information. But let's just call it what it is. He might be the worst owner in professional sports now that Donald Sterling's not there, that Ronald uh, or Bob Sarver is no longer the owner of the Phoenix Suns or it doesn't sound like he's going to be the owner of the Phoenix Suns much yeah. longer. Uh this guy rips off people on a regular basis. He has like sexual harassment problems going on at the workplace. And now he's defrauding people. Other than that, he's doing a great job. And, and he just, I mean, he's turned off an entire generation of Washington fans. This is one of the model franchises in all professional sports for like the 1980s on, because they won three Super Bowls and they were regularly in contention. And throughout our lifetime, they've been an absolute joke of a franchise. And He's the lead guy because he signs free agents. He shouldn't. He goes and hires the wrong coaches. And he's just a horrible person. I've yet to hear anybody say anything good about him, but it could be a big deal if the dirt that he has is accurate. And remember the Jose Canseco uh, analogy, because 
don't don't write it off just so quickly and say, oh, well, because he's a bad guy, he can't possibly have information. Well, a lot of times the bad guys are the ones that have the most information. I think the the what I would debate is that not a lot of people think that the uh, big wigs of the NFL, including Roger Goodell, Goodell, are a bunch of choir boys in the first place. It's uh, we it it was apparent and it's evident <laughs> of how they handled the Ray Rice situation amongst everything else. Like oh, Tracy, that one was terrible. Well, and uh, that's exactly my point. Like, I mean, unless if uh, well, I don't even want to uh, throw out a sarcastic uh, uh, example, but I, I I don't know. I I, I just it's it just so it's just so weird that Daniel Snyder just came out of nowhere. Like, I haven't really heard a heck of a lot of him for uh, a lot about him for all these years, and all of a sudden <laughs> he wants to like essentially sewer himself. I don't get it. Hey, I hope the NFL calls his bluff because, you know, either one of two things are going to happen. Either he's completely BSing and he's going to get, you know, outed. They're going to kick him out and he's not going to own anymore. <laughs> and I think everybody will be happy because of that. And if he's telling the truth, then it's about to get real wild. And there's going to be a lot more billionaire owners hiding in their yachts. So, uh, hey, either <laughs> way, if they call his bluff, I think it's good for everybody involved. Well, guys, uh, we can go on uh, and on and on, uh, but uh, we are going to uh, call it uh, for this evening. This has been a real blast, uh, you know, uh, for everything and all the, uh, you know, shortcomings that ColorCast uh, did bring us. Uh, you know, it's really great to uh, chat uh, about sports with some uh, people who are so passionate about a wide range of different uh, sports. Uh, to uh, Jerome Boateng, to Zach Cantrell, to Patrick Rush. Uh, very quickly, uh, Zach, uh, you uh, host a consistent show, Must Be the Money, on Monday and Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern time on okay. Twitter Spaces. Do you have a qu any idea of what you may be talking about on Monday? Or like you do a couple of other uh, projects on the side as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I do a couple of projects on the side. I do a uh, flaming hot Mondays on Monday mornings with armchair where we recap uh, the NFL games from the previous day and give uh, flaming hot takes as indicated by the uh, title of the show. And then usually on Friday nights, I do a college football show with Spencer Jarvis. All this is done at nine o'clock. This is all done on Twitter spaces. So uh, make sure you check us all out. And uh, I appreciate any uh, viewership I get. And uh, I, I look forward to having you back on there soon. And uh Patrick, I know, is a regular, and uh, Jerome, mm -hmm. I'd like to get you on there, too. Uh, this is a whole lot of fun, guys. I appreciate, uh, RC, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I look forward to coming back on the show pretty soon. No, thank you so much, Patrick. You uh, do a show, uh, um, uh, Patrick's Happy Hour. That is at 5 o'clock on ColorCast, and you also have a couple of projects as well. Yeah, I do. Uh, maybe too many. Um, so I do Patrick's happy hour just from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on the Dine app that is ColorCast. And I have um, Patrick's after hours, which comes up sporadically, occasionally on Twitter spaces or on ColorCast. I have uh, Light em Up, which all three of you have participated on. It's a debate show that's Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern time. I have the hot box, which is bi-weeklies at Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Sometimes me and Zach will host that. And, of course, see McBride. And I have Freestyle Fridays, which is at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Twitter Spaces. The Light Em Up 
uh, Hotbox and Freestyle Fridays. All three of those are on Twitter Spaces. Patrick's Happy Hours on ColorCast and After Hours. It depends on what mood I'm in. <laughs> Patrick doesn't sleep basically yeah I know he definitely has his hand in a lot of uh in a lot of cookie jars there and Jerome very quickly uh, I love to uh also mention that uh you call a lot of Atlanta Hawks games on uh color cast and uh anything else you have going on so so um you know tomorrow Hawks play the Orlando Magic it's going to be the first game I commentate this season um, wasn't able to do the season opener. I actually attended that game, but, um, you know, definitely excited to start commentating again for the Hawks. I also am doing a morning NBA show, the Pack Zone morning show, where I just go over the topics of the NBA, just talk uh, for a couple hours about my thoughts on the NBA, whether that's just going over the scores or just going over opinions. Uh, you know, tomorrow I will be doing a Pack Zone show, just going in depth with the Hawks season opener as well as um you know uh, reviewing the two games that are on today the Bucks versus Sixers the Bucks just beat the Sixers in a really good game and uh you know the LA Clippers and LA Lakers are duking it out right now so I'll just recap both of those games as well as finally finish my season preview the Southeast Division so uh it's gonna be a very very packed show uh you know tomorrow morning can't promise you that it's gonna be at a specific time uh if you have color cast just uh you know if you're up in the morning times just go ahead and see if you see that notification and uh you know if you see me go ahead and hop in i'll let you talk for a little bit or if you just want to listen to my voice that's awesome too but um <laughs> definitely am going to be commentating as many uh hawks games as i can you know awesome. i do have a job and you know hey it's it's hard to do every single game but you know i am commentating hawks games and you know coming on uh what what is up podcast with uh randy so you know appreciate you having me on man no it's uh the pleasure like i said uh, in the very beginning the pleasure is definitely mine uh to uh jerome botang zach Kentrell, uh patrick rush thank you so much really appreciate it of course man appreciate it honor and privilege thank you my name is randy Kure. this is what's up the sports podcast and we will talk to you next time <laughs> <laughs>